This is Anya, and we are back with another episode. Today, we're sharing an interview that we actually recorded in November of 2021, just three months after the Taliban took over Kabul in the wake of the U.S. withdrawal. At the time, I spoke with a young woman from Afghanistan who is remaining anonymous for her and her family's safety. As you'll hear, this woman was involved with the political civil society in Afghanistan prior to the takeover and is now studying in the U.S. Also, a quick disclaimer, as we were editing this piece, we realized that we were recording on a day where planes must have been flying overhead every few minutes and we could not edit it out. So, sorry for the background noise. Here's our conversation. Welcome to the podcast. We are really glad that you are able to take the time to meet with us today. Why don't we start off with your story? Can you tell us about where and how you grew up and how you came to the U.S.? Um, thank you so much for having me today. Uh, I call myself a, a child of uh, refugee in war. I was born in 1997 um, in a refugee camp in Pakistan when the Taliban took over the country for the first time. And my parents uh, had to escape the country and refuge in Pakistan. Once the Taliban uh, regime uh, was collapsed by the U.S.-backed invasion, uh, my parents decided to return to country and take part in, in rebuilding in New Afghanistan. I was uh, five on that time and upon we arrived, my parents sent me to school. The schools were open again for, for girls after many years. And I remember how people were passionate about this new opportunity for their kids particularly for their daughters to be able to go back to, to schools and start their studies. My parents were both educated. They, they really knew the value of education and they tried so hard for me and my siblings to get an education and to be able to learn foreign languages and understand what's, what, what's, what's going on in the world and understand the value of education. I remember my parents tried so hard, although although when we returned back to uh, Afghanistan, the war uh, resumed again on 2004, and after after that, it, it, it kept deteriorating. But my parents tried their best to keep us uh, away from war and, and help us focus on our studies. Um, I graduated from high school on 2014, and... Um, Upon graduation, I entered to Kabul University, where I was able to uh, do my uh, bachelor's um, on sociology. After I graduated, I did uh, my first master's in uh, gender and women's studies. At the same time, I was working with different governmental and non-governmental organizations for the last three years. Uh, I also founded a, a civil society organization called Afghan Women for Elections on 2016. My main focus on that time was to uh, encourage women in Afghanistan, particularly women, uh, rural women in Afghanistan, to take part in political processes, particularly on parliamentary election that was later held on 2018. Our team really did a, did a great job on that time. We were very, very ambitious. We were very hopeful for, for, for a better, for democratic and liberal Afghanistan. We, my network and I could uh, nominate five 
talented, promising young Afghan women to nominate themselves for the parliamentary election. Wow. Uh, one of them were disabled women from central Afghanistan with, with a very unprivileged background. I mean, someone who never received a formal education, but, but was able to read and write and was able to uh, to turn to an activist, actually to a, to, to a leader in, his, in her own community. Uh, our work was recognized in 2018 and we received an award for, for, for what we did on that time. Uh, later I joined some projects that was embedded with the government and the reason I joined the government was to have a greater say on, on policies and strategies that, that was affecting uh, ordinary Afghans on a daily basis. Coming to the, U- to the United States and studying here was, was a dream for me since my childhood. I knew that uh, for me to be able to get the education I really want, I, I need to get out of my comfort zone. I need to search for um, for opportunities. And that's what I was doing uh, really for, for the last two years. I decided that now it's time for me to um, sit back a little bit and, and uh, try to inv- invest on myself, uh, find an opportunity to um, particularly go to the United States because my uh, aspirations were to change the Afghan society to a modern open society where human rights are, are respected and where men and women of the country has the same rights and enjoys the same rights as those of the developed countries. I kept searching and I was glad that I found a full defense scholarship uh, on 2020. Um, uh, through which I was able to um, travel to the United States and, and do a degree here. Obviously, things have precipitated over the last year very quickly. But in the lead up to that, I'm wondering if you can shed some light on what it was like growing up with the U.S.'s presence in Afghanistan over the last 20 years, if that felt like a, um, a domineering aspect of your life or if you were kind of able to compartmentalize that. So, yeah, I... Uh, now that, that the U.S. withdrew from, from Afghanistan and, and now that I think about the past and the U.S. presence in the country, I, I think, yes, it definitely had a very significant uh, effect, not only on my life, but, but almost everyone, in the, almost all Afghans. Uh, but it had uh, both its downside and its, uh, you know, um, bright side as well, the dark side and the bright side. Yeah. If I'm to yeah, if I'm to say, um, for us being able to go back to our country, being able to get an education, to go to the school, we had the right to. I, I as as a woman in Afghanistan, I had the right to study, to work. Really, I was in a sense, I was empowered to yeah. not only stand up for my own rights, but stand up for for the rights of others. And uh, of course, it was uh, possible. Uh, it, it it was not possible if the U.S. would w- wouldn't have invaded Afghanistan. Or and and you know, over the twenty years, the country received significant support from the international community, particularly the United States. Although a lot of opportunities were lost in the past twenty years, and I'm very critical of yeah. uh, a lot of processes. Um, in the country, but I'm also very much uh, grateful for for all those supports and for all um, for all those engagements. 
um, it it give us it give everyone a new a new chance and a new beginning. And what troubles me the most now is that we were not able to use this to use this opportunity and and, and change the country's fate. Uh, yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, could you talk more about your your thoughts behind the reasons why um, why the the assistance wasn't able to be translated into um, a more kind of foundational transformation politically and and otherwise and also maybe you could talk about the kind of most significant missteps uh that led to to the kind of sluggish reconstruction efforts on the part of the u.s uh over the last two decades certainly there's so much fault and blame on the on the u.s's strategies and and uh methodologies on both sides um yes yeah, so i think um the very first um, mistake that was that the international community made in Afghanistan was the fact that they really did not take the time to understand the society very well to yeah. to understand what what policies really will gonna gonna help them to succeed in in, in their in their mission in Afghanistan to invade Afghanistan now i believe was was a hasty decision um after after what happened in the united states unfortunately after the 9 11 thousands of innocent lives that were that were um lost there was this um you know outrageous um feeling of revenge in 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 international community with the united states which is very understandable the the plan was crafted in Afghanistan, although it's a reality that Afghans were, were not directly involved. It was Taliban who uh, provided this safe haven for the Al-Qaeda to, to sit in Afghanistan and, and develop and design their plan. Taliban were responsible, and when the U.S. asked them to uh, hand over um, the leader of Al-Qaeda, Taliban kept denying that. But there is a reality that the United States, when uh, they were in the ground, when they arrived to, to Afghanistan, Again, um, they, they, they did not try to uh, understand the country very well. They never, uh, they never listened to, to the people of Afghanistan, to locals, to their needs and their fears. They uh, kept listening to, to uh, foreigners and, and mostly to Afghan diaspora in the United States who, who were uh, far away from the country for, for 20 years, for 13 years, who really did not uh, had the the real understanding of, of mm. and, and knowledge about the society that's that's I think the number one uh, mistake that us made made in the country and then they kept they kept um, trusting the wrong people in the ground uh, they um, the people who were in charge of I mean by the people I mean Afghans who are who are really involved in the past 20 years who uh, who shaped almost all events in the country? Those people, I would say, were were not uh, were not the right people to listen to. And, and now, what we are say, seeing in Afghanistan is a consequence of of their trust on the right on the wrong people. So misinformation is one of the reasons I think everything went wrong from the very beginning to the to, till the end. When you say that they were trusting. The U.S. effort was trusting the wrong people. Do you mean the the warlords and the drug traffickers that they were partnering with, or or do you mean certain politicians? Where was the kind of root of this misinformation? I would say yes, the warlords and the uh, Avron um, so-called technocrats that 
uh, lived in, in the United States for years, people who were in charge of maintaining the relationship between, between the United States and, and, and the people of Afghanistan. They really they, they did very bad. Uh, they followed their own agendas. Of course, it was warlords as well. U.S. tried to give a space for the warlords to join the, the government and build Afghanistan again, but but their intentions were, were never to, uh, to work for their people mm. because they, they were always representative of their own small groups and their, their self-interest. So it sounds like there was this kind of disconnect between the efforts from the U.S. and the kind of political schematic going on in Afghanistan and the actual Afghan people in terms of reconstruction. I don't know if you have any kind of insight into how that might be better bridged. How, how can the international community restructure these reconstruction methodologies so that there's more of a uh, foundation in the, in the local communities? Yeah, so definitely. Um, they, they can do that. They could do that in the last two decades by, by listening to, to the people of Afghanistan, by involving them in... in, in um, in greater policies in the country. I will give you an example of uh, of the governance system, for example, that were designed after after the Taliban. United States, international community, and, and United States so-called allies in Afghanistan decided to establish a highly centralized uh, governance system in the country where the president has... Uh, unlimited power over all resources and almost everything in the country. In Afghanistan, the system was that the president could could assign the governance and district governance in the country and people were not involved in those decisions at all. Most of the time, they were trying to uh, assign people who were for these positions, for example, governors and and mayors in, in large cities whom they trusted, but Almost all of them were were people who uh, lacked the uh, the um, actual knowledge of the area they were going to govern. Mm. I believe one one way to really listen to the people was to change the system, to change the election system in Afghanistan into a decentralized one, where people were able to you know elect their governors, elect their district governors, a people who uh, lead them uh, rather than the president sitting in a palace in Kabul and. Uh, deciding who is good for the people and who can um, who can who can serve the people very well. Yeah. Afghan people they asked for for this change for years, but it was not only Afghans. If you just Google uh, governance system in Afghanistan, you would find hundreds and thousands of research and papers on this idea only, where a lot of practitioners and and uh, you know researchers, policymakers inside the United States suggested that uh, the key to stability in Afghanistan is a decentralized governance or where people has has the right to vote and they they have a greater say on policies and political processes. So in the absence of this decentralized structure, would I be correct in understanding that it's a lack of legitimacy coming from the Afghan people as a whole because of the centralization that that was a key problem in the instability of the governance structure? Yes, I believe yes. Afghanistan is a very complex society and very diverse society, a society that that experienced civil war for for more than 40 years. Yeah. And in such in such context, it was very hard for the government to gain trust 
without without listening to the people mm. or at least ensuring them that their perspectives and their their ideas really matter yeah it was a lack of legitimacy because in almost all cases the governments that were appointed for provinces in Afghanistan for example they were they were very new to the community they were not part of part of the community and the people never trusted them people were not cooperative towards them and that was when any uh, policy and any program in, in 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 those communities really failed because our local Afghans would see them as, you know, foreign puppets, yeah. representative of government and government interests, not someone who is there to serve the people. Yeah. I'm wondering if you can give us a sense of your experience and your family's experience since the withdrawal of U.S. troops and the takeover of the Taliban. When when Kabul collapsed, I was I was already in the United States, uh, but my family uh, were in Afghanistan. They were in Kabul, and my family are also they really um, uh, fought against the this um, terrorist group, the Taliban, for the for the twenty years. When the Taliban uh, took over Kabul, it was very difficult for them. It was it was like a nightmare to be to be honest yeah. because. Uh, the Taliban knew that that uh, my my family opposed the group for for years, and when I when I first uh, heard the news that a uh, Taliban took over Kabul, I was I was devastated because I thought it was um, it was uh, the end for my family. On that day, they had to. I'm talking about 15th August. They they left the, our our house and and rushed to. Uh, the uh, closest embassy and they sheltered there for uh, for days and nights until they were able to leave the country um, yeah that that's how they right now they are not um, they are not in Kabul they had to leave um, but but you know in a very um, tragic exile from Kabul, Kabul airport I'm sure uh, the world saw what happened yeah. Uh, and it was it's it's very devastated for the people who particularly for my parents when I'm thinking about them I, they are they are not they are not young now they really tried their best to to rebuild their life they started from scratch all over again uh, after the Taliban on 2001 and um, even before that when the Soviets uh, occupied Afghanistan and and they. Uh, um, and they were defeated by the people in Afghanistan and then the Taliban came during the civil wars and now again they had to leave everything behind and go in search of a safer place for themselves uh, it, it, it is very difficult really I know how how uh, I can see in their faces how tired they are and it really uh, makes me feel devastated and very um, hopeless I, I at this point we can there's nothing i can do for them and there's actually nothing they can do for for the country we loved we loved so much and we um we had so many dreams for i can't even imagine are your parents seeking asylum i imagine that that process has been tumultuous but beyond that i'm wondering if you can give us a sense of what afghanistan is is looking like now and what in your opinion happens next, especially given that you were very present in Afghanistan's politics before coming to the U.S. Yeah, I mean, they, right now they are, yeah, they are um, 
I tried to help them come to the United States, but it wasn't. Somehow we couldn't manage that. I was at least hoping that they would be able to join me here and again we can we can reunite and it might be easier for them. But unfortunately, it we we could not uh, we could not manage that and they ended up uh, in one of European countries. Um, they are there right now. They uh, have not started the the official asylum process yet. I think it takes time for them to to accept the reality and the fact that they are they are not able to go back to the country and uh, live the the life they they um, tried hard to build. Yeah. Uh, but for families like us, it's not possible actually to live under the Taliban regime. They they even if we accept them, they will not accept us. They will, they will not respect us and the way we choose to live. Yeah. The only thing that Taliban are good at is is killing and shooting and ruining lives. Um, they, they they don't have this capacity to tolerate and to listen to the voices that oppose them. They see us as a threat and as an enemy. It's three months now that Taliban took over the country, and for three months, um, all all uh, girls' schools were closed, and uh, all female uh, governmental staff were asked to stay in their homes. Yeah. A lot of them were, were asked to even resign because they are they are no longer welcomed. It's, it's no longer their place to work. Uh, so we are seeing that Taliban, uh, for the people who are saying that Taliban has changed during the past 20 years, I think at least uh, they, they own an apology for the people of Afghanistan because of their naive mm. way of thinking. They, they have not changed. They are, they are even more um, restrictive. They are even more repressive. They, um, they are still a very um, small, homogenous group that does not represent the, the very diverse society of Afghanistan. It's very difficult for me to really think about the future and figure out what, what will happen. And it's even f- very difficult for me f- now that wish something for Afghanistan because um, even in the worst case scenario, we never thought that all of a sudden the world will, will turn it, their back to the Afghan people, to, to their allies actually. Um, and and leave them at the middle of chaos. Yeah. You know, um, when I'm thinking about the past, uh, I I still remember uh, when President Bush announced that the U.S. is going to invade Afghanistan and they said that it's in their own strategic benefit and the benefit uh, of the world to, um, to free Afghanistan. And then 20 years, another U.S. president announced that it's for, for their strategic benefit to withdraw and leave the country and it's no more their, uh, their uh, responsibility. Mm. I'm thinking about the time in, in between these two announcements and what happened that um, 20 years ago it was a strategic benefit of the world and, you know, it was about international security to defeat Taliban and now it's all of a sudden no more their uh, responsibility and it's no more uh, their strategic benefit. I can I can really, I cannot f- figure that out. While I really know that Afghans and our leaders, the pro- political um, uh, political leaders, they really missed a, a, a golden chance uh, 
for the country. But it was it wasn't only them. It was actually mm. all the uh, countries that were present in Afghanistan, the NATO allies, uh, United States and Western countries. They were somehow they are and they were responsible for what happened in the country. This this was the regime uh, they they actually designed, they established, they they supported for years. And they kept saying that they represent people, but um, so yeah, there is there is a responsibility for the world. It's even even for me, it's not really easy to understand the uh, to understand what what's really happening to understand this complex complex politics of the country. Yeah. But I I do know that it's not only about Afghanistan. A lot of superpowers were involved in that country and, and, and sought their benefits. And in the region, Afghanistan has a strategic geopolitical location that makes it very vulnerable. Yeah. Because of this, I, I don't think that uh, Afghanistan, and now I'm talking about the people, about the nation of Afghanistan, the reality is that we are not a failed nation. We are a resilient nation that was tested and challenged in a way that few other nations um, have ever been. Mm. We were not allowed to seek peace, to, to stabilize our own country. That's the reality. And, and about the terrorism in Afghanistan, I also believe that we fought this war on behalf of all of us, on behalf of the international community, because International terrorism is not only our enemy, it's also the worldwide enemy, actually, yeah. and it's it threatens all of us. But but we willingly fought on the front lines against this phenomenon. Now that the Taliban are there, and um, I, I would say a terrorist group is governing a, a, a country, I think this this threat is even more um, is even more alarming now, and the world must not remain indifferent uh, mm. towards what's happening in Afghanistan and what's happening to Afghan women because the world really, we paid the price of this indifference once and we saw what, what can happen and to what extent terrorism can really affect others. We are all in, a, in this. It's not only Afghan people. It wasn't only about Afghan people. I think the world, with uh, cooperation of Afghan people, needs to hold Taliban responsible for their actions and to force them to form an inclusive government where where ordinary Afghans they can see themselves in in the government in the power in Afghanistan and where women has Afghan women have the right to uh, to educate to work and to to be perceived as equal citizens I mean I'm I'm inclined to agree with you but I also thinking back 20 years when when the Taliban was in control of the government and Bush invaded that I mean certainly came from a, a self-serving motivation but it was also an international effort to hold the Taliban accountable like you're saying and it clearly 20 years later didn't didn't work at all so I'm wondering if you you know have any kind of uh, suggestions or, or thoughts about how the international community can kind of fight the Taliban again without just repeating an endless cycle of violence and destruction and ineffectuality that characterized the last 20 years that characterized the US intervention you know there was there was a process for although what what what's happening right now is not an outcome of a real peace process it was just a political um, a political agreement between between two parties but even for that agreement there were there were some uh, preconditions for Taliban to 
to, to achieve first and to, to make sure of. Uh, the Taliban promised to the international community, they promised to the United States that they will not try to practice their their rigid rules. They promised that they will not confine Afghan women again to walls of their houses. They will respect the choices of the Afghan people. They, they will respect the new generation of Afghanistan. Uh, and they will try to uh, form an inclusive government where where minorities, where, uh, where different political groups, where women and youth have their, they have a presence in the government. But this is not happening right now. Uh, the very first thing that I think the international community needs, actually it, it has started, but they should continue doing that, is they should define conditions for any kind of support that the, the Taliban will uh, receive in the future. They should make it clear that unless Taliban do not uh, bring those reforms to, to their uh, system of governance, international community will not recognize them. They should not recognize Taliban, actually, as as legitimate um, government of, of the people in Afghanistan. And they should keep pushing for, for, those, uh, for those values until they see the Taliban really really take it seriously and they really uh, listen to them and implement it do you think that the international community has an obligation to take an active role in overthrowing the taliban a second time or do you think that this is just a matter now going forward of giving these conditions and not not being actively tolerant where's where does the line get drawn here if the Taliban do not show any kind of tolerance, and if they um, continue doing what they are they are doing now, I think the tol- there is the, there is a responsibility for international community for the United States to intervene again, even if it's a military intervention. Because in a globalized world we live in now, what happens in one part of the world will definitely at some point affect yeah. another part of the world. If the world uh, remains uh, dormant of what happens in Afghanistan. I am I am sure another huge and, and very dangerous event, what happened on 9-11, will happen again. Yeah. I feel from you that your primary kind of frustration is at the, the disregard of the international community towards Afghan citizens rather than a kind of frustration that the international community got involved to begin with. Of course, Afghanistan has a, a very long history of imperialist uh, interventions, as, as you said. Is that a fair assessment? Do you think that that's a yes. shared sentiment among Afghan civilians in general, where it's more that you want a kind of consistency rather than this erratic, like self-serving intervention? Yes, actually. Um a lot of Afghans, or at least communities with whom I have contact, they they have the same kind of frustration. They are very, they are shocked and they are very disappointed by what the international community did um, at the very at the very last um, yeah. last minutes of their presence in Afghanistan. The reality is that we do not want an international community to stay in Afghanistan for right. forever. It's not what we want, really. It wasn't what Afghan, Afghan people want, what Afghan women want. What we wanted from international community was to take the right decision, support the right groups in Afghanistan, and get the policies right. Yeah. 
I, I think it wasn't a new generation uh, of Afghans has emerged in 20 years and they could be the true allies of, of international community for the future. United States and its allies really invested on, on this generation, the, the generation after Taliban, uh, people like myself, who wants Afghanistan to be a very strong interdependence with the rest of the world. Uh, we want we want our country to be a functioning member member of the world, uh, and we want to collaborate on the progress of this international society. This could be achieved, uh, really. You know, the ground was 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 ready for that, but all of a sudden, the international community, all of a sudden, the United States uh, decided that it's it's time for them to to withdraw. It was their responsibility first to set the right policies, to give the power to the right people, and then to leave, to make sure that the investments of the uh, two decades are not in vain. But that's not what they did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think there's been a lot of conversation around the unfortunate tension between, you know, after two decades, you have this effort that just really didn't accomplish anything of substance in terms of like a net result and so much unwillingness to continue that involvement for longer and incur more costs, more lives, destruction, etc. And I, I personally can understand that, that unwillingness, but I think you're absolutely right in terms of it is still about timing and, and it's about thoughtful withdrawal, as you're saying, a withdrawal after you're comfortable saying we implemented the proper policies so that those 20 years ultimately were not in vain. Um, I mean, I think that that is a, a complicated tension True. because after 20 years of wasteful spending, of, of a lack of consideration for the policies that Afghanistan actually needed on the ground, it, you know, a model that, that just wasn't applicable to the environment in which the U.S. was working, there were some real missteps. Do you, do you think that civil war in Afghanistan is a possibility at the moment based on everything that's happened in the last year? Do you think that the Taliban is too tight a grip on the country at the moment? Taliban are a small, they are a very small homogeneous group who cannot, who do not represent all people in Afghanistan. Even they cannot claim that they have all ethnicities of Afghanistan within the group. And even they cannot claim that they have a majority of one ethnic group in their establishment. They are really isolated and that's why they suffer from this legitimacy crisis. Yeah. All these other ethnic groups in Afghanistan, they really they 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 think that if the international community do not listen to them and if the Taliban uh, do not show some kind of flexibility and involve them in, in, in the government in the future the country is going to fall into another civil war. Definitely, yes. And it's not only that. Right now, there are other groups that they do not see themselves anywhere. Their, their allies left them. They are just captivated by a, a group that they do not accept and they do not trust. Um, so they, they, they are seeking for alternatives. And right now, 
One alternative is unfortunately ISIS in Afghanistan. ISIS groups are emerging in some parts of Afghanistan. They attack uh, on hospitals, they do suicide attacks on, on civilians, and they just publish a statement claiming the responsibility of those attacks and atrocities they, they, they do all around the country. It's very similar to what Taliban did over the past 20 years. I can think of two dangers here. First, why other insurgent groups in Afghanistan or any other parts of the world, particularly radical Islam, will think, why would not they continue their their atrocities and their, their terrorist acts uh, when they see that a, a terrorist group who fought against the world superpowers were leg legitimized, who now claim that they defeated the world superpower. It kind of incentivized mm. um, other, other terrorist groups in the country and actually in region that the more they are, uh, they are stubborn and the more they are um, dangerous, the more the chances for them to, to succeed at some point is, is more. Mm. It also kind of uh, you know, promoted a culture of impunity in, in the country. Thinking about uh, another civil war, it really breaks me, but it's, but it's a reality, a possibility at least. Yeah, yeah. I, I've heard some analysts explain that the U.S. involvement, particularly through the use of drones, paired with a kind of centralized governance structure caused a lot of distrust among the more rural areas of Afghanistan and the rural populations began supporting the Taliban and helped resurrect them after the initial US defeat. I don't it sounds right now that you're saying that the more rural populations don't support the Taliban at the moment and and are more inclined to support these other non-state actors. Is that is that a fair? Do you, would you disagree that it was the Afghan civilians beyond Kabul that that really led to the resurgence of the Taliban? And if if you do agree with that, is there something that changed in that dynamic over the years to to lead to what you just described now? The rural Afghans they never supported Taliban in a way that they would think that Taliban are their saviors. In a very recent study that was conducted by, by a very prominent um, organization, by US Institute of Peace, I, I think, uh, about, uh, about the popularity of uh, Taliban in rural Afghanistan. And the result turned out that only 10% of rural Afghanistan really support Taliban and think that they should be in power. Mm. The rest of... Uh, Afghan people, they really do not support Taliban. It's a reality. But what happened in the last 20 years was that the government was unable to provide services to the people in rural areas, particularly particular in terms of judiciary um, services. And Taliban had the chance to fill the vacuum. Taliban, they had a strong presence in rural Afghanistan. I cannot deny that, but it's not to say that they were favored by the by the people or they were or the people were supporting them. Yeah. People were people were stuck between two bad choices, unfortunately. People never had the chance to really choose between between actually people never had the chance to oppose Taliban. A group, a group who has guns and, you know, civilian people who are, I mean, most of them, Avon, rural Afghanistan are farmers. They, 
they they really have no way but to uh, obey Taliban and that's what they did I see yeah absolutely but again it's it's because the government was not able to deliver service for the people and in that vacuum Taliban really emerged and and, and felt the gap my final question is is kind of a two-pronged one um, first I'm wondering if you have any specific hopes for the for the future in terms of for the immediate future I should say be that uh, political shifts international involvement and if you see a kind of specific way that Afghanistan can can change its trajectory and my second part of the question is you know if you were able to to give a message to our listeners and to the international community as a whole what what would that message be Yes, thank you. So my immediate um, hope for my country is to, uh, for the girls in Afghanistan to be able to go back to their schools, to universities, for women to be able to go back to their offices and to work. I think the international community must emphasize on that, must talk to Taliban, must force them to finally say yes to those to those basic rights and adjust to the changes that Afghan, Afghan society made in the past 20 years. Taliban needs to adjust. They, they have to listen to the people of Afghanistan. They have to, they have to change. And I want the international community to, to force them to do that. Without the support and recognition of international community, Taliban do not have the resources and they do not have the capacity to govern a country. Actually, they, they lack both of these. And for that, if Taliban really want to govern Afghanistan in the long run, they need to accept the reality of the of a new Afghanistan. Taliban are right now they're an interim interim political, yeah. I don't know. Even I cannot I cannot call call them an arrangement, mm. but whatever they are, it, it it's supposed to be an interim one. And Taliban promised that they would pave the way for an election very soon. International community I think, must intervene and um, pave the way for a fair and a free election in Afghanistan, where people, all men and women, can go back to ballot boxes and, and cast their votes for their representatives. And uh, people actually uh, get the opportunity to form a inclusive government for themselves. If the Taliban has the potential to compete, they are most welcome to take part in the election. They are most welcome to nominate themselves and then respect the decision that will be made by the Afghan people. Mm. And that's how we can also, I think, prevent more atrocities and, you know, war in the country and, and another civil war, which is on threshold, I, 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 I can feel. And for your second question, my message to the international community and everyone who listens to this podcast, it's not only about my people, it's not only about Afghan people, it's about each and every one of us. So everyone in whatever capacity has to turn to an activist and voice the needs and the fears of Afghan women and Afghan citizens to help them in, in any way possible and to help uh, their governments um, understand that 
it's their own it's not only morality but it's in their strategic benefit to intervene and to have a presence and to 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 take responsibility and it's about the international security and it's about the national security of the united states and national security of great britain and national security of france um, and germany and, and and so on if they deny that i think um, they are making it a, a huge mistake this was so fantastic to get to, to talk to you and i really appreciate your insight and, and your openness and your comments i think this was just a, a really great conversation. I'm really grateful to you. Thank you so much for having me today. It was my pleasure. Our guests noted toward the end there that if they don't change their ways, the Taliban cannot effectively govern. They don't have the resources and they don't have the capacity. The events of the year that has passed since we first recorded this interview have shown how right she was. Rather than adapt to the progress of the last two decades, like our guest was calling for, the Taliban have doubled down, and the result has been utter catastrophe in Afghanistan. Not only have women's rights been slashed, with girls being barred from higher education, from most jobs, and from moving without restriction in public, but the economy has also imploded. We are hearing horrific stories of parents sedating their children to curb their hunger, or in some cases selling their children because the family cannot afford food. As of now, there is no indication that the Taliban are facilitating any kind of political shift or, frankly, attempting to address the crises in the country. We will have another episode out soon that discusses the current situation on the ground in more depth. In the meantime, thank you for listening and stay tuned for more. You can find us on social media at utopia.worldwide and at www.utopia.org. That's